CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is sponsored by Filecoin Foundation. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to The Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey, it's Coindesk TV. Next week is consensus. The mania is starting to set in. Get worried, guys. It's going to be crazy. You're watching The Hash, though. Let's get back to business here. I'm Zach Seward. That's Jen Sinassi. We have special guest star, Sam Kessler, and we have David Z. Morris joining us on the show today. The point of this show is to tell you all the news you need to know about crypto here and now. So let's do this thing. David, you're leading us off. What do you got? Yes. A blast from the past or a returning phenomenon that never goes away. We have Bitcoin dominance apparently topping out. For those who don't know, Bitcoin dominance means the percentage of the overall crypto market cap made up of Bitcoin. Um, It is sitting at 48% right now and has been apparently for a little while and is not nudging up after rising a bit in the first quarter. Historically, when Bitcoin dominance tops out or reverses, that means people are going to be putting more into altcoins. And specifically, there's a lot going on having to do with people's risk tolerance after a good Bitcoin rally, wanting to diversify around. The question, of course, is, uh, you know, does that mean there's actually something worth investing in in the altcoin space. But could altcoin season be around the corner? That is the question. And I guess it's actually interesting to ask in the context of consensus itself, which does have certain market timing factors going back into history. So what do people think? Is the market shifting away from Bitcoin? Are we going to see more exciting speculation aping going on? Zach, go for it. I mean, it's always alt season if you're degenerate enough, right? People in crypto, they love to trade the coins, be they meme coins, things that are completely pointless, have no meaning, are nihilism condensed into coin form. It just happens. And I think people see Bitcoin rising. And oftentimes, some of these other coins, they play sort of as like a high, higher risk play on mm-hmm. Bitcoin, the rising tide, lifting all boats. And that's something we see time and time again, right? Bitcoin, I think, is seeing a lot of interesting things go on around it, right? You're seeing sort of this this inflation risk hedge sort of narrative is inching back into the world. You saw all this activity on ordinals where people are actually building stuff with Bitcoin for the first time in a long while. So you see Bitcoin kind of sort of kind of decoupling from the broader markets. So there's a lot of exciting stuff going around Bitcoin for sure. But I think also some of that euphoria then trickles down to some of the smaller market cap coins. And those are sort of like the early <laughs> indicators of that euphoria slash insanity that sometimes can grip the crypto markets. But hey, who knows? I mean, time will tell whether or not this is the beginning of something new. I don't know. Sam, what do you think? 
I'll be honest. Um, one of the weird things for me today was to see the word quote unquote altcoin and realize that that's kind of still a thing. Maybe I'm like super behind on this, but it does feel like for the past at least year, maybe year and a half, the word altcoin just doesn't really have this thing ring anymore because mm-hmm. it's kind of just implicit to 99% of what we talk about that Bitcoin is not the only game in town. I think the rest of these stories that we're going to be talking about either focus specifically on or, you know, in some roundabout way are about decentralized finance and everything that isn't Bitcoin. So I'm not really uh, addressing the whole thing. Are we going to see an altcoin rally? But I, I guess to, to Zach's point, that's kind of always what's going on. I don't think we'd really be talking about anything if that wasn't going to be the case, was the case anyway. That brings up, I think, you know, my question was, is there anything worth rotating into in the altcoin space? And I think to Sam's point, yeah, there actually are. I mean, especially, you know, compared to four years ago or something, there's a lot more um, seemingly legitimate activity out there for people to diversify into. Even NFTs have held up pretty well. Uh, Jen, you want to jump in before we go to our next story? Yeah, I have a very obvious take on this. I think there's always going to be a place for Bitcoin, right? The governments can't get it. The regulators can't get it. It is very much the backbone of everything that's happening. There will always be a place for it. It's not going anywhere. But the altcoin narrative is just so much fun. And it's become the this backbone of like another part of of this industry, right? Like Bitcoin is the backbone for the maximalists. And then everyone else is like, Bitcoin was our foundation and we are growing and we are building from there. I think that when we look at like the innovation that's happening in the space and an innovation that like makes this show what it is, it is very much about everything outside of Bitcoin, this whole ecosystem that is propped up on altcoins, the like intellectual property and and all of the cool stuff that's happening. And I know 90% of it is just like total garbage, but there is a lot of really (laughs) cool stuff going on. And so I love to see that we're still talking about altcoins and different chains and all the cool stuff that's going on. All right. Well, let's let's change gears. I mean, there's only there's only so much you can say about what the fate of some random cryptocurrency is going to be. You're never really going to be able to know what that next one to captivate mainstream interest and attention will be. But hey, Gigabrain's out there working on it. All right. I'm tossing it to Sam. Sam, this is a venue for some altcoin trading, I guess. One inch. What do you got? Yeah. So um, this is kind of a simple story, but I, I think it gives us some leeway to talk about what's going on in Ethereum's layer two landscape. It's all of those blockchains that allow people to transact on Ethereum with higher speeds and lower fees. So one inch, which is exchange aggregator, a decentralized exchange aggregator, which we've talked about a lot more like a year ago, but is still a larger entity in the entire decentralized finance space, has announced that it's going to launch on ZK Sync Era, which is a zero knowledge rollup. Lots of jargon here, but basically this is one of those fancier networks that helps to scale Ethereum. And the interesting thing here is that it represents one of the larger projects and one of the first large projects to go onto one of these more experimental, exciting ZK rollups. And it just shows that this whole space around scaling Ethereum is really starting to mature. I wonder if any of you have been kind of looking at all this, scratching your heads as to what it is, maybe have some thoughts on whether this is going to become the main hub through which people transact on Ethereum moving forward. Um, David, I see you. I don't have strong feelings about one inch specifically, but this does match to some of the things that we've been hearing about, specifically the looming or perhaps unfolding competition between layer twos based on ZK technology versus optimism. 
Um, optimistic rollups came out first and had still have a, a huge market share. I hope nobody comes after me too hard for this. My general impression, though, mm-hmm. is that there is some consensus that the ZK technology is going to be a little bit better. And so we might see a real rotation in the market here that this one inch launch is going to be kind of the first signal of uh, th- what is going to be, I'm sure, a slow but continuous migration to more ZK based chains. So I think that's the, that's the broader narrative that this is a part of. Thank you for adding that in there. It's always important on this show to protect yourself from the people who are going to come after you. Please. If you don't, it's don't. just my opinion. It's just my I will not opinion. be answering questions. I think it's, it's so cool to see like so many layer twos and rollups pop up that are solving these problems we talk about every day, right? We want to make transactions cheaper, faster. When I read the story, though, I think about, you know, when we were talking about all the exchanges that were popping up and all of the marketplaces, and now we have all these layer twos. And my question for all of you is, why do we need so many layer twos that are all solving the same problem, please? I actually had a really interesting conversation today. Um, I'm writing it up into a report that I'll release next week on like kind of the state of Ethereum's layer two landscape. But we talked a bunch a few weeks ago about that Arbitrum airdrop where they dropped a bunch of tokens onto their community. It's one of those optimistic rollups that David talked about. And they've actually been pretty successful in terms of, at least over the past month, seeing some stickiness with regards to how many users claimed airdrop tokens and how many users are continuing to transact on that chain. And the narrative here, the ZK Sync era, which is one of the first ZK chains to kind of hit the market, there's really one other, which is Polygons, which is much smaller. ZK Sync era doesn't yet have a token. So a lot of what we're seeing here is obviously on one end, you have VCs who, you know, like David said, cynically, but true to a large extent, want to have somewhere to put their money. But there's also users who are going to these platforms and one inch sees this who want to farm for airdrops. They want to get that ZK sync airdrop once it eventually happens. There is no token yet. And when you look at Polygon, which I mentioned before, which is a lot smaller, even though it's a much larger name broadly in the, you know, crypto landscape, the reason why Polygon only has $4 million locked versus ZK Sync Era, which has $250 million locked so far, is probably because Polygon already has a token, Matic. So mm. people aren't going to be transacting on that chain, waiting for hopefully a drop of you know, sweet, sweet new tokens. So that's one of the things that I see going on here. So maybe we'll see people moving over from Arbitrum and Optimism too, which already have their tokens. I don't know. But we're also going to see a lot more new chains that we haven't heard about. Zach, what do you think? I'm taking the high road here. I'm talking about moon math. You guys are talking about coins, who's going to make money and whatnot. I'm talking about zero knowledge proofs, man. Zero knowledge proofs are a real, like, <laughs> actually innovation in cryptography mm-hmm. that has been catalyzed in these last two, three years based on the market need for these solutions in the crypto world, right? So you have all these mm-hmm. math gigabrains in universities and other places who are really solving some pretty complicated stuff that is going to have some really potentially uh, huge implications for the ability for blockchains to scale. Zero knowledge, to my limited knowledge as a small brain, is less about some of the privacy benefits and more, again, about compressing these amounts of data Mm -hmm. such that you Mm -hmm. don't have to maintain like all of the data, I don't know, like the Merkle tree of the proof, whatever, whatever, right? You can just get a stub of it. And by doing so, it's a much lighter experience for these blockchains, which are already highly data intensive, right? So the data intensity of a lot of these chains has been a limiting factor for how many people they can support in terms of transactions, applications, mainstream adoption, you name it, right? So the fact that so much research in the last two, three years has been catalyzed by people looking to build solutions like this is just a testament to like smart people doing cool things. And I'm not going to talk about the airdrop farmers. Those people aren't the smart people doing cool things in this instance. The people who are doing it are the mad people. So 
Just want to tip my cap to them, but I'll toss it back to you, Sam. Oh, actually, David, yeah. I see you. Got, see yeah, you let me just jump in really it. quickly. Thank you, Zach, for being being optimistic. I'm going to take it back to the cynical side and point out what oh. other people are alluding to here, which is that this model, and I'm probably going to be on one inch farming a future airdrop myself, so I'm being a hypocrite here. But I will say, I don't think this is a good pattern for customer acquisition for an industry to rely on the promise of a future airdrop to get people in the door. I mean, it's an implicit securities violation, let's be clear, too. And uh, so, you know, this doesn't seem like a sustainable pattern, but uh, I guess get it while the getting is good. So I 100% agree with what David said. Just a really quick point. One more thing that I think that we're seeing here is just like in the early days of social media, where a bunch of people would get users and not know what to do with them. I think that's another cool pattern that we're seeing here, which is you have ZK Sync era, you have Base, which is a new chain built on Optimism's technology, which is by and large not as advanced as even Arbitrum by, by certain measures. It's not, you know, they don't have this proof system. Anyway, you have uh, A16Z, which just announced that they're going to be, or um, it just came out that they're going to be launching a chain. I think you see a lot of these plays not only to farm or, you know, not only getting users to farm airdrops, which is probably an unsustainable thing, but you also have a bunch of folks who are just trying to get users into a network for reasons that we and probably they don't understand yet. Mm. Um, and where that snowballs, I, I genuinely just don't know. So part of it is cynical, but I think they just, yeah, they, it's not only about just getting obvious airdrop money. We, we just don't know what these users are going to be used for. Hey, this is Jensen Nancy from The Hash. Are you heading to Consensus? Because I am, along with the rest of The Hash crew. If you're there, you have to connect with the Filecoin community ahead of Coindesk's big event at the Filecoin Network Base from April 24th through April 26th in downtown Austin. Join Filecoin ecosystem contributors for lightning talks on Web3, gaming, developer workshops, and the latest updates on the Filecoin virtual machine. Spanning three floors packed with programming and networking opportunities, the network base hosted by Filecoin Foundation is your go-to spot for cross-chain collaboration and connection in Austin. Register today at networkbase.io forward slash Austin. Join Coindesk's Consensus 2023, the most important conversation in crypto and Web3, happening April 26th through 28th in Austin, Texas. Consensus is the industry's only event bringing together all sides of crypto, Web3, and the metaverse. Immerse yourself in all that blockchain technology has to offer creators, builders, founders, brand leaders, entrepreneurs, and more. Use code THEHASH to get 15% off your pass. Visit consensus.coindesk.com or check the link in the show notes. We're talking about the three AC guys. They are back, baby. Who said there was no such thing as second chances in crypto? Who said comebacks can't happen? We're talking about Kyle and Sue and their new project, formerly known as GTX, well, at least maybe jokingly at one point, now known as OpenX. They are raising some money with some prominent backers, and these backers think that the 3AC guys can do it again proper this time, and they want in on whatever money is to be made. I got tossed this to Sam. He said he was excited about this one. What do you think about OpenX? I mean, it's a good idea. There's plenty of bankruptcy claims out there in the market. Do you think they can uh, execute this thing? 
So there's two sides of this um, that I want to touch on briefly. One side is like, what the heck this thing is. Um, and the other side is like, why did Susquehanna and all these people who are, by all outward appearances, legit putting money into the bad boys of crypto who might be on the run from the cops? To that second point, why would they put money in? I had an a interesting conversation with a source of mine recently who was talking about how, you know, where, where some people see Red Flag City when it comes to the three AC founders who famously went bankrupt and did God knows what with customer funds or with client and partner funds. Other people see a discount. So I think these institutions are taking a risk. They've decided that the reputational hit is worth it. And they've decided that if this is a good idea, they're going to get it at a really, really steep discount. They probably got a pretty good deal. Now, as to the idea itself, I do think that there is something kind of fundamentally wrong with not the idea. It is a very good idea of helping people trade these bankruptcy claims, ironically enough, you know, given the source. But there is a problem with it being these people running it, which is that this, unlike some things in crypto, is very based on trust. You need people to verify these claims. You need a real middleman. I mean, this is a more kind of traditional sort of a system that they're putting together. And when you're building a system that is based on trust in a ecosystem that offers plenty of trustless opportunities to build things where you wouldn't need to trust Kyle or Sue, I think there is some weirdness there. Like, why should people trust them? I think if they're going to fail, that might be one of the reasons why. But who knows? I guess we'll see. Um, David, I saw your hand up. Yeah, so I, I do want to, in a second, dig into um, you know their status as bad boys. I also just want to point out that like over and above that, these guys were not good at their jobs. Specifically, I think it's worth emphasizing again and again that Suzu and Kyle Davies gave $200 million to Luna. And then when it blew up, Kyle called it a black swan, quote unquote. So for anybody who knows what an actual black swan is, that should be a gigantic red flag about how much these guys actually understand finance, period, full stop. Um, and so leaving aside their reputation and also, you know, the details aside, they lost a lot of money, everybody. And, uh, and so leaving aside their culpability and whatever, the idea that you're going to bet on these guys after just their lack of competence, frankly, to me, is, is the headline here whatever else they might be on the run from, that's going to haunt them for a while. Jen, did I see you? Yeah, I just want to say, and you guys don't have to respond to this, but show me a female founder who loses $2.5 billion. I bet that no VC is going to take a discount on that female founder. And then I look at SBF. No one did any due diligence, just money flowing in. And it makes me so mad because there are so many women out there with great ideas who are actually working on awesome projects who don't get the same opportunities that, that people like this get. And that's, that's where a, I'm leaving my thoughts. That's a spicy take. I love that. You said no one did due diligence, but you know who did due diligence? Taylor, Taylor Swift. Swift. We talked about this yesterday. Taylor Swift did due diligence. That's what it's all about. Anyway, this is a good story. I think, I don't know, like crypto is strange, right? And crypto people are a bit strange too. And I think the idea of this being an opportunity, right? Hey, these are the three AC guys. They were on top of the world. They were the talk of Twitter. For months and months in good times and in bad, people are like, okay, that's bullish. We're going we're gonna to back this team because they can do it again. And that's what they're betting on here, which I think is remarkable about the crypto space. Perhaps misguided, perhaps strange, but there are some people who are willing to take that bet, including some from some pretty reputable sources, apparently. But David, I'm going to give you the last word on this one. Yeah, I guess my last word is just a is actually a question, which is, I don't know how liquid these stakes are going to be. I don't know if it's like tokenized or something. But, you know, Zach, you were talking about the, the 3AC guys and following and, you know, greater fool theory dominates 
like, as Jen was saying, 90% of crypto, right? And, you know, we saw major VCs get into Terra, which they must have known on some level was fundamentally flawed, and then get out in time to make money. So I wonder whether that might also be a factor here if these backers have some idea that, okay, these guys might be idiots, but there, there are a lot of other idiots who trust them. So we're going to give them money and then we're going to take the money from the other idiots in turn. So that's another possible frame for this um, in, in my mind. But again, I don't know how liquid the stakes are. So that could be a moot point. Yeah, there is a bit of irony in the thing that kicked off so many of these bankruptcies. The people behind that thing are returning to create an exchange <laughs> to trade those claims that it's just it's kind of beautiful it's right you know the business <laughs> from the other side story right it's rich. they get it when it comes to bankruptcies they get it they get it that should be the tagline for the company <laughs> yeah, that's we the, get the it. first line in the, the pitch tagline. Tagline. been there been, yeah, yeah. We maybe know they have all a sense of humor. Them. Maybe that's all this in. is. I'm in. Um, <laughs> I'm in on it. Let's do this thing. Uh, all right, Jen, change gears for us. We're heading off to NFT land, which unfortunately our NFT segments at the end of the show have been fun for the last like two weeks. But this one's not so fun. According to multiple dashboards compiled on analytics platform Dune, OpenSea and Blur are seeing notable losses in daily users and sales. According to a Dune dashboard compiled by NFT researcher Launch, marketplaces have seen a steady decline to lows that have not been seen since 2021. So a tough past seven days for the NFT folks. Zach, I'm tossing this one off to you. What's going on? What happened this past week? There's there's no money to be made. Look at those people. They're just like, there's nothing to be done here. You know, Blur, I think, is a big story, right? They came and kind of professionalized NFT trading and served sort of that market really well. And they've come to eat a good chunk of OpenSea's lunch. But I think across the sector, there's just not a lot of opportunities out there, right? The buzz is a little bit gone. I saw an interesting headline speaking of 3AC. I think it was Sotheby's was auctioning off the 3AC NFT portfolio. Uh, I don't know how that did, but that was announced uh, either yesterday or the day before. But I think, yeah, buzz around the NFT world is not all the way there. We talked about some of these sort of mainstream loyalty uh, and membership NFT things with Starbucks, you know, kind of doubling down on its efforts there. Those are kind of a different breed, right? They're not necessarily for folks looking to make a quick buck, right? They're the digital, like, you know, I voted pin or like, I love Starbucks, thumbs up, right? Like these are, these are passionate fans, right? That's one thing. But on this side of the aisle, we have those who are looking at NFTs as a way to make money, right? And that was always kind of one of the main selling points of NFTs. I'm not a huge believer in it's all about community and kumbaya and art. Really, the, the feature was that you could flip these things pretty quickly and ultimately stand to make a good buck if the market was hot. And we should, it's just not. And I think that's what these numbers suggest or, or, or further confirm. But I'll toss it down to David. I'm sure he's got some thoughts on this one. Yeah, I mean, if anything, I think my take here is probably going to be the optimistic one, which is, you know, we're seeing this low, honestly, a long time after the broader market started to unwind. Remember that we had Luna crash almost a year ago now and FTX crashed in November, so like five months ago. So these are all macro forces that impact everything in the system, including NFTs. And, you know, if we're just now back down to November 2021 levels, and we're also starting to see things like Bitcoin dominance top out and, and maybe uh, a return to at least some bullish sentiment in the market, although I'm at a loss to explain that given broader conditions. But either way, the market is rotating. We've hit a bottom, but I, I you know, and NFTs will probably continue to bleed out for a little while, but it's cyclical. And uh, we're still, I think it's safe to say, way up from where we were two years ago. So that's also worth keeping in mind. 
Well, one note maybe on the timing of this, I don't know if we mentioned it yet, but NFT NYC was like a week or two ago, which is kind of the biggest NFT conference. I honestly haven't looked at the charts. I don't report on NFTs. I don't know if there was some boom around that and then some bust right afterwards, but the timing probably isn't coincidental. Maybe it was like last year where nobody showed up and that was like a whole thing. Not nobody showed up, but there was like a whole meme around empty auditoriums and more speakers than actual attendees. So maybe, I don't know if there was a similar narrative there. I genuinely don't know. Maybe one of you does. I wasn't there which might be news too. One of the other things that I'm at least going to be looking at over um, the, the long term outside of the whole price thing around NFTs is first off, the durability of some of these communities. I, as somebody who wasn't really in the NFT world, have been somewhat impressed um, seeing some of these like Bored Ape, Mutiny. Some of these folks have managed to create, whether you think these are good ideas or bad ideas or silly or cash grabs or whatever, they have, I think like gotten um, some pretty good mind share and just attention and they, they've got parties going on all the time. Like they're still doing stuff. Lastly, um, uh, you know, back to, uh, you know, one of the main narratives, royalties and stuff like that. That's something I haven't seen play out. I'll be looking at that, that was, as well. Zach, sorry, I see your finger up. You landed the plane, my man. Thank you for doing that. You closed <laughs> us out with some thoughts. That was nice. Too. That's the show today, guys. Thanks for being here this week. It's consensus next week. Just get down there. We're going to be down there. It's going to be crazy. Good stuff, good parties. Bye, everybody. We hope to see you there. Bye, all. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.